Parkview Church, blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be with you this morning, opening up God's Word in John 17. I do hope you have a copy of God's Word right there in front of you so that we can learn from Christ together through His Word this morning. Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. That's the whole point of where we're going this morning. And just around the corner, for all of us, is Thanksgiving. Okay, Thanksgiving maybe means many things to many of us, and junior high students may also be dismissed at this point. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Mike. <laughs> um, Thanksgiving's around the corner. It means many things for many of us. Food, family, football. But I would assume for many of us, it's the time where the great, 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 great grandma's special, unique china set or special plates, special silverware, the thing that you've kind of set aside, you set aside for, for a unique moment, a special purpose, it's time to grab those things, bring them out on the table, and there you have the turkey, uh, or if it's uh, my family, we do a version of beef. I'm not a big turkey fan, okay? It's too dry. But there you have the plates, right? Special, unique plates set aside for a special purpose. It's not like the most helpful illustration, but it gives you a picture of what it means to be a Christian. One of the, the ways we have to understand being a Christian, of uh, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, is that we, through the work of Jesus and by the word of Jesus, we have been set apart under the grace of the Heavenly Father for a special purpose, to be sent out into this world for the mission of making disciples. We actually have a vision statement that says we glorify God of this church by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We do that through a whole church making whole disciples of Christ for the good of all people. And what we need to understand is that it is through the work of Jesus and the word of Jesus both that enables us to actually become the type of people who are then sent into the world to bear witness to Christ. Now, we've been learning this in John 17 so far. There's a few slides that I just want to summarize, okay? Remember that when you read the Bible, most often there is kind of a flow of thought or a kind of a, a story, we might say, that's being woven through the text. And in John 17, I just want to kind of look at the different segments, okay? John 17, 1 to 5, we see the Son, Jesus, praying to the Father that he would glorify the Son by accomplishing the mission that the Father had set out for Jesus. And this mission, this purpose, is to gather for the Father a church, a, a family in Christ. That is the mission. So Jesus says, Father, glorify yourself as I reveal your eternal life to those you have given me. That's the, that's the beginning of the prayers. The glory of God in the mission of the Son. Then, in verses 6 to 16, the Son prays to the Father. And actually, from verses 6 to all the way to verse 19, Jesus prays two things, okay? He says, I'm going to be removed from the world, and that could be seen as kind of a dangerous possibility for the disciples who are still in the world. That's where kind of the famous phrase, right? Disciples are, uh, are in the world, but not of the world. So Jesus is about to return to the Father, and his disciples are going to remain in the world with all the pressures and challenges and sufferings that we experience. And... 
amidst all of that, the spiritual warfare of Satan, the evil one, who would be attacking and seeking to destroy the spiritual lives of the disciples. So Jesus, in light of those two realities, the worldly influence and Satan's attacks, Jesus prays two things, okay? He prays first that the Father would keep the disciples from the evil, and that he would keep them. We see that, I think, in verse 11. And then we go to our focus passage, okay? So say, Father, keep them. And then in our passage, what's the first word? Sanctify. Keep and sanctify. Guard them, protect them from the evil one, and sanctify them, Father. Set them apart for your holy purpose, for my glory in this world. That is what's happening in John 17. And I want you to notice, as we look at verses 17 to 19, Notice the structure here, okay? Verse 17, look at the passage with me, okay? Verse 17, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. Then jump down to verse 19. We'll get to clarifying what Jesus means. He says, consecrate myself. Actually, in the original Greek, it's the same word as verse 17. Sanctify, I sanctified myself for their sake. Then look at the phrase, right? So they might be sanctified in truth. Sanctified in the truth of God's word. But look at the purpose, verse 18, right in the middle. So sanctified in truth, verse 17. Verse 19, sanctified in truth. And then in the middle, what does it say? Just as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Sanctify them in truth. Sanctify them in truth. As I've been sent, so I'm sending them. That's the point of John 17, 17 to 19. It is this, okay, in a phrase, if you want, if there's one thing you take away, here it is. This is it, ready? It's that the word of God sanctifies the people of God all for the mission of God. The word of God sanctifies the people of God all for the mission of God or the purpose of God to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to be a people. As we move forward, Parkview, kind of this time of renewal, as we await who's the Lord going to call as our next lead pastor, what we want to remain focused on as a people is that it's God's Word that sanctifies us, that renews us, that strengthens us, that builds us up into maturity as disciples of Jesus, and we rely on the work of Jesus to cleanse us and to set us apart. The Word of God and the work of God. So, Let's look at both of those. And before we do, would you pray with me yet again as we approach God's word in more detail? Father, we pray. Again, like, like Jesus himself prayed, that you would sanctify us in the truth of your word, even now, together as your people, as we approach your word. Give us humble hearts to receive your word. Give us ears to hear and a willingness to obey and to honor you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So maybe some of you know this. Okay, it's Halloween today. But it's also, more importantly, it's Reformation Day. It's Reformation Day, okay? We are an evangelical church. And all that means, evangelical, all that evangelical means is people of the gospel, gospel people of the gospel. And because we're an evangelical church, historically, the evangelical church finds its roots in the Reformation. 500 years ago, a man named Martin Luther rediscovered the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ that a sinner can be made right with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. And that is the message of the entire Bible. And so he rediscovered that in the word of God and he said, let's change some things here. And so massive change happened in the church and everything like that. But the thing that really empowered the Reformation 
and Martin Luther has a bunch of quotes on this, is basically the Word of God. In fact, one time, Luther, years after, all of these radical changes happened in the church and even started happening in society, people asked him, man, how did you do it, Martin Luther? And he said, I did nothing. The Word of God did everything. Because he understood something that John 17 teaches us. It says, Father, sanctify them, set them apart in your truth, your word is truth. And just as Jesus was sent with the word of truth in the world, so we are sent into the world, word of truth. So, let's explore this first verse, verse 17. Sanctify, sanctify. What does that mean? Now, most of us hear the word sanctify, and rightly so, we probably begin to think of, okay, over time, becoming more like Jesus in my character. And that is true. Different portions of Scripture teach that specifically and clearly. Yet here in John 17, the, the thought of sanctification is a, just a bit different, okay? And it means this. If you look at verse 19, right, what does Jesus say? And we'll get to this a little bit more deeper later on. But he says, I consecrate myself, is what some of your versions might say. Uh, but also other versions say, I sanctify myself. It's the same exact word. So obviously, I hope we would all agree here, that Jesus Christ is the perfect Son of God, sinless Son of God. So obviously what he's not saying is, I struggle with sin, and now I'm sanctified over time to become more holy. No. He's saying, I consecrate myself. I am set apart. That's what it means, sanctified. I am set apart for God's holy use. In the Old Testament, uh, oftentimes with the different tools in the temple and the holy place of God, God would sanctify them. God would set them apart for his purposes, for his holy use. And that is what Jesus is saying. Father, set my disciples apart from the world around them. Not taking them out of the world, but living distinctly, distinct lives of a witness to me in the world. Set them apart because as we are set apart, living differently from the world around us and the values and ideologies that so often swarm us, whether through media or through Netflix or through uh, neighborhood chit-chats or talking the water cooler at the workplace, whatever it is where the general world is living contrary to the purposes and values of Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying, set Christians apart from that so that in their difference— in looking different, in being different, they are a witness to a world of the reality of Jesus Christ and how holy and good and wonderful he really is. In high school, I was uh, chosen as a delegate for a uh, leadership kind of seminar, three-day leadership seminar. I grew up in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And from what I understood is actually it was like different 50, the 50 different states chose like one student from each high school to kind of represent that state. I was chosen in my high school to go to the Arizona Leadership Conference, okay? And one of the things that was apparent to me from the get-go was when they gave me my name tag, this is how I remember it. Name tag, you know, put the lanyard on, there it is, okay? It said Wade Urig Valley Christian High School. And as I looked around at all of these people, and we're like sophomores in high school, so we're just automatically just super insecure and terrified. And uh, as I looked around, I noticed that it said like Basha High School, Mountain View High School, Phoenix High School. None of them were saying Christian in them. And what I realized early on is in these next three days, this is going to be a unique experience for me, where from what I remember, I think I was the only representative from a Christian school. And in one sense, it's kind of this double meaning for me here as I look back on the moment of my life. Not only was I set apart from my school to represent my school, but my name tag said Christian. 
and all of the glorious kind of privileges and joyful responsibilities that came with that over time as I was meeting new students, interacting with them, I was seeking as best I could, as best I could in my own imperfect way to represent Jesus, to live distinctly from them, the conversations they were having, the ways uh, they would talk about what they uh, valued in their high school, things like that, okay? Now, oftentimes, some of it super fun, and I could, oh yeah, I love sports too, whatever. But certain things, I realized I couldn't enter into that conversation. Or if I was there, I had to go in a different route. I had to use language differently, things like that. I had to be distinct because I was a Christian. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are to be distinct, different, set apart, sanctify them, Father, the word of your truth. Now, here, here's what I think, though. It seems like a logical connection, though, between this kind of sanctification as setting apart and sanctification as kind of your character being more like Jesus over time. Because if God is going to set apart a people for himself, his church, the believers in Jesus Christ, set them apart for his purpose, then certainly those very people must commit themselves to personal and corporate holiness. That together as a people, we must more and more embody and reflect the character and likeness of Jesus Christ in all of his gentleness. In a world that continues to grow in animosity and anger, if you are confronted by someone who disagrees with you on whatever issue is, we are not to be a people of anger, but a people of kindness and gentleness. Yes, firm with the truth, and yet gentle in how we convey it. Love, humility, humility in a world around us that is so consumed with self. We have the sovereign self, okay? It is what I desire in my feelings that determined how I ought to live and to structure my life to ensure that I get maximum happiness in a culture around us that lives like that, humility says we put the interests of others before us, just like our Lord Jesus. More and more holiness because it is a witness. We are set apart by the Father, through the Son, for witness. This is the clear testimony of the entire Scripture, especially in the New Testament, okay? 1 Peter 2, just one example outside of our focus passage here, right? In 1 Peter 2, it says that you are God's beloved people, a holy nation called out by God to proclaim His excellencies, His awesomeness to the world around you. And then notice what Peter says. He says, therefore, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, aka among the unbelievers, honorable so that they might see your lives and give glory to God in heaven. So the application of verse 17, at least the first portion of verse 17 in terms of, Father, set them apart for my purposes. The application is this. I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself, what area in your life right now do you need God's help to become more holy in? Where in your life right now are you tempted in a particular way to begin to kind of embrace the culture around you, the values around you that are contrary to what God's word has taught us in Jesus Christ. Where is that area in your life right now? We all have it. We probably all have multiple areas, if we're honest. 
What is one area that through the help of Jesus Christ himself, you can start taking steps of turning away from it and heading in the direction that Jesus wants for you through his word? What is that area? We all have those areas. What is it? What is right now hindering? It's another way to ask it. What's hindering you, Parkview Church, from a pure, focused devotion in joining Jesus Christ in the great adventure of making disciples of Christ? What is it? What's hindering you right now in your life from a full devotion to the Lord? We all have areas. If we're Christians, we ought to be able to name those areas constantly and consistently before the Lord, seeking his help to turn and to keep following Jesus more faithfully. What is that area in your life right now? The Holy Spirit, I would assume, is bringing it to mind right now. That's the place where I want you to know that the power of Jesus Christ the power of Jesus Christ through the word of God is able to help you gain traction in that area. Believe it. If you're a Christian, would you believe that this morning? And would you repent of what so often happens through the temptation of Satan that you just live in this miserable, defeated realm of Christianity? No more of that. Let's rise up as the son and daughter in Jesus Christ that you are, and let's live holy lives. That's what Jesus Christ has purchased for, for you on his cross. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting so excited here, okay? We all have the area. Where is it for you? Jesus will help you. Let's move forward together. Okay, now, sanctify them in truth. In truth. Did you notice the next part of verse 17? In truth. Sanctify them in truth. We're learning together that God sanctifies, right, the word of God, sanctifying the people of God for the mission of God, okay? Now, the word of truth, okay? What, what is that, okay? So, so the, it's the word, right? Notice how Jesus says, verse 17, look at verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So this is a word, the Son, praying to the Father. Father, you have a word. It's your word of truth. Sanctify them in that. So it's the word of the Father. And through the word of the Father, the disciples of Jesus are sanctified. So what is this word of truth? Well, we might say simply, right? It's the Word of God. It's the entire testimony of the 66 books of the Bible. And yet more focused, we understand as we read the whole message of the Bible, there is one single message that encapsulates the entire of Scripture. And we see it earlier in John 1 where Jesus says that He is the Word, John 1, right? The Word of God made flesh, full of grace and truth. And so what John has presented through us, and unfortunately, obviously, we don't have the whole context of the, of the book uh, through this sermon series, but if you look at John 1 onward, you'll realize that the, that the word that the Heavenly Father speaks to the world, world is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God to the world, the message of God's saving power, that the world that is dead in sin and judgment has been given this message from God himself, the good news, the truth of Jesus Christ, that through Jesus, sinful men and women can experience the gracious reconciliation back to the Father. That is the message of the gospel. Colossians 1 says it like this, you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So the gospel, this word, is the, is the truth of Christ. It's the message about Jesus Christ. And it is this gospel, this good news of God's reconciliation, 
of sinful men and women through Jesus Christ, this message that sets us apart for Christ's purposes in the world. We might say it like this, right? In verse 18, right, we noticed that we are sent into the world by Jesus with the word of God, with the gospel. In verse 17, it's the word of God, the truth of the gospel, that sets us apart for that purpose. So we are, in a sense, set apart from the world through the gospel to then, verse 18, be sent into the world with the gospel to proclaim to our neighbors and to the nations. Again, the word of God sanctifies the people of God to live out the mission of God. And this is how this ought to shape our lives as a whole church right now. I mentioned this earlier. I want to go a little bit deeper, okay? Again, Parkview, in our name, is evangelical. And the evangelical church, what it means is we are people of the gospel. And historically, what that has always meant is that we have our roots in the Reformation. Again, we celebrate that. I just couldn't, I just, I couldn't help myself. Had to talk about Reformation Day today, okay? But there's a purpose behind this, okay? Because evangelical has always meant we are people of Scripture, we are people of the Word of God, and, and, and specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ that is given to us in the Word of God. That there is salvation in only one person, in Jesus Christ alone. This is why this matters. Because as disciples of Jesus in our current context, the temptation is to make anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of God's word the primary identity marker for God's people. And you could go down the list, some cultural idea, some political ideology, whatever it is. But the church of Jesus, first and foremost and always, finds its identity in being set apart by the gospel of Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. What Martin Luther discovered 500 years ago, the church needs to rediscover today, that the church is its healthiest, and the church is most faithful to its mission of making disciples when it is most fully aligned and submitted to, joyfully submitted to, the word of God. So Parkview Church, as we continue to move forward, the number one priority of this church in our personal lives, in our family lives together, in small group context, and Sunday morning worship must continually be the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the word of God. That is what sets us apart distinctly from the world around us is the gospel that Christ has given to us. Okay, now very practically, personally, think about what this means for our lives. Personally, your Bible time, okay, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, whatever it looks like for you, okay, and for some of us, maybe this is a moment where you could enter into quiet repentance because you look at the past three months of your life and it has been totally Bible devoid, okay? And this is not a time, there's no, there's no shame there. But let this be a moment from the Lord Jesus himself where he lets you kind of just jump back into the game, okay? But for whatever it looks like for you, as you open the Bible and you read through the Psalm, some of you are in Luke or in Genesis or whatever, okay? We're all in different places. I remember what Thomas Hoke, there's Thomas Hoke. Don't we love the fact that Thomas Hoke exists and he's here as our pastor? Isn't that amazing? Anyway, so Thomas Hoke, there I was sitting uh, with him in uh, his office and he told me, he's like, you know, Wade, 
have you ever realized why we should read our Bible on a daily basis? And I was like, tell me, Thomas. And he said, most people think, this is my translation, okay, of what he said. Most people think that we should read our Bible so that we can kind of feel spiritually good, right? Ah, and then, you know, kind of drink up the Bible, and do-do-do, and there I'm for the day, and I'm set for the day. That's nice. Okay, that's, that's, that is one legitimate reason. But what we forget is as we read the Bible at our kitchen table, there in North Liberty or Iowa City, wherever you are, you're reading it as a member of Parkview Church connected to a whole family in Christ. And you don't know that that morning as you're in Psalm 13, which is a psalm of lament, and as you're learning about God's faithful, steadfast love in the midst of suffering, you don't know as you read that, that morning, and you spend 23 minutes on that, that at 4 p.m. that day, you're going to get some call from your friend at Parkview or some family member in Nebraska or wherever they live, and they're going to tell you some tragedy that happened in their life or some just terrible thing they're going through, some suffering, some affliction that we're all experiencing all the time. And they're there on the phone telling you this. And the purpose for you reading Psalm 13 earlier that morning for 21 minutes at your table was not primarily, not only, I should say, not only just for your own edification, praise God. It also is because God uses his word through his people to encourage his other people to keep moving forward in Jesus despite all of the challenges and all the difficulties we face. So an encouragement to reimagine your personal Bible time as more than, not less than, but more than just you opening up God's word to, to feed yourself. Good, very good. But also remember that we, Jesus right, he's saying, Father, sanctify them. Sanctify them together as a family in Christ. Set them apart through your word. So your personal Bible devotion, okay, is for the sake of upbuilding and growing your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's amazing. That is amazing. Okay, second thing to, to, to note here, very practically, okay, is the mid-level small groups, right? Just encouragement I know of oh, Terry Greiner, you're amazing. And she meets with women Wednesday afternoon, isn't that right? I think they're going through the Gospel of John? Or Luke? Look at that. They're on Philippians. They're just plowing through the Word of God, okay? And um, amazing, right? There's things like that happening all the time. Just heard recently of a group of men who are waking up at 6 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Wow! And they're getting together at Panera on the east side, and they're going to go through the gospel of Luke. I got a text from uh, one of the guys, hey, come join us, you know, all that stuff. and there's a few guys like, oh, I'm going to be there. This sounds awesome, right? Oh, small group study, okay? Sunday morning, our hearts hungry for the word of God proclaimed. Okay, now I can go down the list here and there and everywhere, right? But here's the deal. As we devote ourselves to God's word, as our hearts are humbly open to Christ Jesus will pour out his spirit, verse 17, sanctified in the truth, for verse 18 to be sent into the world. Right now, we have evangelism training, right? Once a month, we're kind of in this season where we're learning together. How can we more faithfully speak about Jesus to our neighbors? Us speaking to our neighbors about Jesus will not happen unless we become a church that continues to grow and grow and grow in our hunger and openness and submission to the Word of God that sanctifies us, that makes us more like Christ. Okay, first point, it's made. You got it. I think you guys see 
This is what God is declaring to us as a church right now from his word. Second thing I want you to notice, okay, is this. Not only are we sanctified, right, the word of God, sanctifying the people of God for the mission of God, but we're also sanctified by the work, the work of Christ. Verse 19, right, Jesus says, and for their sake, this is amazing. This is amazing. This verse is unreal. And for their sake, for their sake, I sanctify, I consecrate, I set apart myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So what is Jesus saying here? He is saying this. Just like in the Old Testament, right, God set apart specific people. Think of priests and kings. He set them apart for his purpose that through these people, right, his kind of loving rule would be infiltrating the lives of his people. So Jesus is saying, okay, here I am. I'm setting myself apart in a unique, unparalleled way as the Son of God, consecrating myself to the Father's work of bringing sinners into salvation, into the family of God. Jesus is saying he's devoted himself for their sake, for our sake. He's devoted himself. He has given his whole life's purpose to make you holy to set you apart, and then to send you out on the mission of making disciples. This is the passion of Jesus Christ, right? His full-hearted commitment to you. Let's never think of Jesus as some half-hearted Savior, limping around, barely making it through, lazy and indifferent to your struggle with sin. Don't you realize what John 17 verse 19 is saying to you right now is this. That thing in your life that you keep struggling with, that sin pattern that continues to rob you of joy, that problem in your life, that habit, that attitude of heart, uh, that um, the way in which you just keep messing up that relationship because of your own fault. Those things, that thing, do you realize, okay, that as you agonize over that and you wish, oh, Lord, I just wish it wasn't in my life. I wish I could grow more holy. I wish I could be. Do you realize that what John 17 verse 19 is saying is that Jesus set himself apart to make you holy, meaning Jesus is more committed to your holiness, to your progress in becoming more like Jesus than you are for yourself. So often, if we're just honest here as Christians, we are so half-hearted. We're the ones limping around, sort of wanting to be holy, but kind of sort of still enjoying the sin and kind of like this blah-blah middle spot, right? And what we have is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is committed committed for their sake. I have set myself apart. Do you look at Jesus and see who Jesus is in his amazing incarnation? Just think about it. Let's just look through the life of Christ. In his incarnation, Jesus leaving the glory of heaven for the misery of the suffering of this world for your sake. Look at Jesus in his perfect life, obeying the Father every moment of every day, healing and teaching the Father's word, giving and giving and giving himself to sinner after sinner after sinner, gladly with a heart full of joy for your sake. 
He, there he is praying in the garden, resisting the temptation of Satan to grab a hold of power and his kingship in some other way than bloody crucifixion. There he is praying, Father, I submit my will to you for their sake. Look at him dying on the cross, experiencing the wrath of God for your sake. Look at Jesus rising from death, filled with God's power for weak and sinful people like you and me. For their sake, I have sanctified myself. Jesus Christ is right now more determined, more devoted, more wholeheartedly, passionately committed to ensuring that you as a Christian make it long-term in holiness and don't wreck your life through sin than you are. Because he loves you. Because that's the type of savior he is. Because fundamentally, as we think about us being on the mission of God, what's the one thing, the one thing that hinders our ability and kind of willingness to get busy of making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not that we don't have enough time, that that is an issue. It's not that we don't have enough training, though that also is important, and we are setting up things to make sure we get trained. The main reason why is our sin. Because as Christians, we continue to battle with selfishness, which turns us inward on ourselves, and unwilling to look outward to bless and help others know Jesus Christ. That's a real big problem, brothers and sisters our sin. And you know what John 17, verse 17 to 19 is promising to all of us who are in Jesus. It is showing us a Savior who is so committed to our holiness, so committed to us progressing and growing in maturity so that, verse 18, as he was sent into the world in love, he might send his disciples into the world in love. Jesus himself the burden this is what i'm trying to say here the burden for this church to in the end fulfill the mission that god has called us to the burden is not on the shoulders of any person in this room and it's not on the shoulders whoever praise be to god the lord calls to be the next senior pastor. it's not on his shoulders either it's already on the shoulders of jesus christ who's our crucified risen king Death cannot conquer him, sin cannot conquer him, and Satan cannot conquer our Lord Jesus. He is the winning victor. And as you look at your life and you feel like, I'm constantly losing the battle of sin, I'm constantly struggling, I'm always just, ah, uh, just feels like I'm just a miserable Christian, so discouraged. As you look at your Christian life, you need to stop looking at your Christian life and look at Jesus' Christian life, if we could say it like that. Who's the perfect, wonderful, amazing Son of God, who never sinned, who was always faithful, and who set himself apart, consecrating himself to the Father for your sake, for my sake, for their sake, Father. I sanctify myself that they might be sanctified in the truth. I'll just finish like this, right? I think about my relationship with Haddon. I love my son, two-year-old son, Haddon. He is a delight and wonderful, and you know what? He struggles at times. He struggles to listen to me, to obey the first time, to eat the food he should eat, instead of just cramming down all the sugary goodies that he wants to just, okay? He just struggles, okay, at times. And when Haddon is struggling, what matters most in his life, okay, is not his commitment or his devotion or his willingness to be a good son. That's not what matters most in his life. If Haddon's going to make it long-term as a healthy, happy human, 
what matters most right now in all of his weak, frail, faltering, fumbling two-year-old self is nothing to do with his commitment. That's to do with my commitment as his father to love him, to raise him, to pray for him, to care for him, to pour myself out and declare to pour herself out day after day, moment by moment, to ensure that he continues to walk down the path he should walk down. Now, obviously, there's caveats and all these things and all that stuff. It's not the perfect illustration, but you get what I'm saying here. Park, do what I want us to realize from John 17, 17 to 19 is this. If, that, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have already won. You cannot ultimately fail. Your life is not a miserable, empty, whatever you think it is. That sin in your life that keeps beating you down cannot outconquer the power and sanctifying goodness of the truth of Jesus Christ. Do you know why I know that? It's because he died on a cross, he was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he busted out of that tomb. And he's alive right now in heaven, loving you and giving himself and giving himself and giving himself and giving himself to you every moment of your day so that you, guaranteed promise, become holy and guaranteed promise that as he moves you and grows you, he will send you and send you and send you to your family members and to your friends and to your coworkers to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ of such a wonderful, deliciously amazing, sweet Savior that we can tell our friends about. Who does not want to be a part of the family of Jesus when this is the Jesus we're talking about? Let's pray. Father, you, through your word, have sanctified us in truth. Through your son, you've done that. And you've done it through his death and resurrection. And so, Lord, we pray that as a whole church, we would be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be committed to his purposes in this world, that we would be committed to his mission, that we would open our mouths and speak the gospel. But all of that only happens if, is if we are continually being set apart, sanctified, devoted to your purposes. And if we're honest, we look at ourselves, we think, ah, oh, I don't know if that's me. I feel like I'm, I'm half-hearted so often. I, I feel like I struggle. I mean, this past week, I just struggle. And so here we have hope from your word that we go back to your word of truth that's able to sanctify. And the work of Christ your Son that in the end, the burden is on you and your commitment to us and your devotion to us and your, your purpose in us, working in us by your Spirit. So would you please revive us again as a church. Plant this truth deep in us, Lord. Shape and fashion us according to the likeness of Christ and then send us, send us, send us into this world to speak about so wonderful a Savior. And we pray this for his sake, for his glory, and for our good. Amen.